This is Patrick Roberts. Jimmy Gold was by him. She's coming against down to him. Pritchard with a free kick, and it goes back to the end! Dan Ballard making contact! And thank you for the final play, has been waved off, and the chance here now for Sullivan to pitch it on the counter-attack, which they do in style, Dan Neal! It's a devastating counter-attack! Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sullivan Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after Sun's 2-1 win over West Brom in the Championship. No manager, but we still managed to get two goals and win a game of football, which shows that life does indeed go on without Tony Mowbray. And uh, joining me to talk all about it is Chris. Hiya, mate. Hello, Gavin. Yes, it's uh, a lot has happened since, uh, well, felt like a lot happened since I last did a pod. And uh, it feels like it's been <laughs> an age since I last did a pod after we won. So um, looking forward to this. Yeah, well, I'm I'm feeling pretty chipper today, actually, because, you know, going into the game, I had very low expectations and I was actually expecting to lose. I think even, you know, before Tony Mowbray was sacked, my confidence was on the floor with regards to this game. I just wasn't looking forward to it for whatever reason. I'd kind of maybe looked at the looked at the league table, seen West Brom doing pretty well, thinking about just the fact that we we we'd stopped scoring goals and all these other things and just didn't have any real confidence, but... What we saw was an improved performance where the lads got back to basics in many ways. Mike Dodds had set them up in a way which I think is needed to have been done for weeks and weeks. I've mentioned it a few times on the pod recently about just letting fullbacks be fullbacks and letting centre halves be centre halves and not getting too complicated and you know having like Hume coming inside and playing like a third centre half and then playing like a defensive midfielder. Wingers releasing the ball quicker. We had passes going up the job more directly than we would normally do. So obviously Job led the line and we had particularly Oshish. Luke O'Nine did it quite a bit too. Just looking for him over the top earlier, which we never really do. Um so all these things really are just things that I think a lot of people had seen from afar and thought, why aren't we doing more of that? And Tony Mowbray leaves and 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 all of a sudden we realise that's how we should be playing. But it was good to watch and I actually really enjoyed the performance. It didn't it wasn't your typical deflated, disappointing performance after a manager's been sacked. And when we did the Twitter space on Friday night, I said I was worried about this because I didn't know whether the players might be deflated, like I've just said, because you know I'm, I'm sure that, that Tony Mowbray was very popular with the majority of the players, not all of them, but with the majority of them. And I wasn't sure whether that would be playing on their mind and that maybe it affected the preparations. But to me, it just felt like that they've got on with it and... Mike Dodds has probably had a very easy job this week and just sort of working with the players and getting them ready for it. So to me, I, th- I think, you know, it was a it was a good performance and, you know, that's a brilliant win. That's a brilliant win because not many teams will beat West Brom this season. They'll lose their fair share, but I think they're a difficult team. There was parts of the first half where they look really good up front and, and out wide. So I think that's a brilliant win, a brilliant three points and a great way to sort of respond to what had been a pretty hectic week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that. I mean, you saying that you were nervous about this game. You know, we were talking before kickoff, and it was a role reversal with us two, where you were like, yeah, where you were like, oh, I'm, I'm worried about this one, and I, I was kind of adamant that we were going to win it. I just had a feeling that mm. the players needed. I don't know. It, it felt like since the last international break, 
the players needed a different voice. It it was just looking a little bit stale. Yeah, yeah. Like would kind of run out of ideas a little bit. And look, I mean, you know, it was a run of, I think it was, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think it was like two wins in nine or something like that beforehand. Yeah, and, it was. I yeah, mean, and, and yeah. that's not disastrous if you look back at last season. We had, I think Tony Mowbray had two similar runs like that. He had one in, when he first took over after the Rotherham game, I think he won one in nine or one in 10. And then later on in kind of the final third of the season, he, he went on a run of something similar, like two in nine. So it it wasn't kind of something we haven't seen from this team. And we've always talked about the age and that, that inconsistency is kind of expected. So, yeah. So, I mean, look, at some point it might, he might have gotten it right. Who knows? But at, at the same time, um, and a quick plug for this week's editorial is, is kind of goes along these lines where, you know, we're talking about that we didn't need drastic changes. And it seemed like, Again, after the international break, Tony Mowbray was chopping and changing, not just with personnel. Like, these team selections were all over the shop. And when, when a manager gets like that, you almost smell the end coming, that a manager doesn't yeah, yeah. know his best mm-hmm. team. He doesn't know how he wants us to play. The patterns of play go out the window. The players look like they've run out of ideas. And you've got, you've at this point, you've got to separate, you've almost got to separate a little bit the man from the manager. As a man... You you're desperate for Tony Mowbray to do well at the club, a bit like going back to Martin O'Neill, like and and Malcolm Crosby and people like that, who you think are brilliant people, and you you're desperate for them to do well. And as a manager as well, the way he kind of picked us up last season and and he was that steady pair of hands, brilliant, you know, great fella, love the fella. I think I don't think a Sunderland fan can say a bad word about Tony Mowbray, but the team looked like they needed a new voice and. All the evidence for me, you hit on a lot of it, that all the evidence was in this game, that we didn't need drastic changes. It was those little tweaks and it was those little, like, you know, Trey Hume getting on the outside of Patrick Roberts because how often in recent weeks, again, especially since that last international break and the last in the three games before West Brom, where Patrick Roberts got the ball and he was all alone. There was no one within 20 yards of him. And you look at the success of Patrick Roberts last season, and how much of that was down to Ahmad standing 10, 15 yards away from him all the time, asking for the ball? Patrick Roberts needs a foil. He's not going to take three or four players on. Well, sometimes he does, didn't get us wrong, but he's not going to do that every time. And when he's got when he's isolated like that, Trey Hume bombing on down the outside just gives him that extra yard where he takes a player away and Patrick Roberts can then do something. He's got a bit of breathing space. Yeah. Same on the other side. I mean, you called it before the game when we were talking. Fullbacks just giving Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts a foil. I mean, I, I go back to Alan Johnson being a hell of a player, but how much did Mickey Gray make him by making that run down the left-hand side years ago? I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, he needed that because otherwise he'd been outnumbered and he couldn't do anything. It's been the same with Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts in recent weeks. And that was just a small tweak. The other one, as you again, you've, you've called it, was just being more direct, not just pumping the ball forward, but... You saw we got back to what we were good at at the beginning of last season and certain times in last season where people in the back four when they had the ball, especially Luke O'Nine, was reminded of basically one of the main reasons he's got that place at centre-half, that he zips the ball into people, but he, he, he sometimes misses the midfield out and zips the ball into like Job or whoever's in that most forward position. So we get 30 yards up the pitch quickly and we that's our starting point so it's it's it just the whole move gets quicker um and just just generally breaking quicker as well just just 
knowing that we've got that impetus to to kind of get forward and and not take too much time on the ball, which has been again the problem in recent weeks because um yeah, like I said, it just felt like we'd run out of ideas. So the as you said, you, again you called it going back to what we know we can do well. And you know, we'll, we'll say it time and time again, we've said it oh god, god knows for how long. But this team can beat any side in this division when they're on their game. They just need to be reminded of, you know, how to do it and how good they are. And I kind of felt like we were going to have that performance against West Brom. And whether it was a reaction or, like I said, just a bit of freshness, it, it was all good to see. And it, it's all going back to exactly what this team can do well. Yeah. I was really impressed with the fact that Mike Dodds just had a, a tactical game plan, which was pretty evident. Like I could see when he was making changes and why he was making changes during the game to the way we were playing. First half, Huggins and Hume played in, oh, I think Hume was left back, Huggins was right mm-hmm. back. They come out after half time, that maybe wasn't working so well in the swap round. Mm-hmm. And then as the game went on and we were 2-0 up, he went, he changed the system entirely. Jack Clark, there was a, there was a moment towards the end of the game where Jack Clark literally, ref, he refused to come out of the left back position when we, we were trying to hold the ball up in the top left-hand corner of the pitch. Mm. And it was Pritchard and Dan Neal, I think, who were out there playing up the left-hand side together. Clark was 20 yards deeper um, playing as a left-back and he made a couple of subs where you could see what he was trying to do. So it was just... uh, I feel like that sounds like I'm being disrespectful to Tony Mowbray a little bit, but I don't think we saw that enough from him. You know, we, we, we lamented on various occasions, the the way you would just chuck a load of subs onto the pitch and it made no sense. In recent weeks, it was more like, you know, bringing on a bunch of number 10s and flooding the middle of the pitch when flooding the middle of the pitch hadn't been working for us and it never changed the games. Mm. Whereas with Mike Dodds, we could see, we could see what he was trying to do and it made sense. Like, you know, you go tune up against a good team and you, you, you should try and, you know, slow the game down, which we did. We, we were a bit more defensively disciplined um, irritatingly we conceded the goal during that point which <laughs> I was gonna say. makes me sound a bit <laughs> tough but, but I think as a team we actually were more defensively disciplined and we, when, the, when the scoreboard went up and there was six minutes added on we had a game plan to manage it out you could see the lads not doing certain things and doing other things you know a lot of it was trying to keep the ball out wide and just, and just not letting West Brom have it mm-hmm. things like that are, those are things that we haven't done enough under Mowbray but you know, I, I just think I just think it was a really, really good performance, and I think I think he has to take a lot of that credit, doesn't he? I mean, obviously Tony Mowbray deserves credit generally for the way this team plays football, but I just think that you know he put a lot of pressure on himself this week, Mike Dodds as well, talking in the press, um, talking about how he, he felt like he he needed to show he was a better coach than he did, um, the first time he was caretaker, and that's clearly played on his mind ever since. I mean. And we were in on it too as well, to be fair. We all absolutely slated him during that sort of spell when he was in caretaker charge because it just did, it did. It looked like they didn't know what they were doing and we lost two games against teams we should have been beaten. And, you know, that's obviously played on his mind. It's been nearly two years, but, you know, this time around, he's he's had a chance to show what he can actually do. And, you know, so he put a lot of pressure on himself this week to get it right and he nailed it. And he looked really relieved after the game when he was talking. You know, he 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 looked like the happiest man on earth because everything that he che- you know the little tweaks he'd made they all worked. We got the three points. I think it just it gives if we if we do have a new manager in in the next few days, 
you know, winning this game is really important because me and you have talked about it, the run we're about to embark on and, and me and Martin talked about it last week. We've got a difficult run coming up. December's difficult. And then you start January off with a game against Newcastle. So we have to pick up points where we can because we are going to drop them this month. So to win a game, which I don't think most people would have expected us to win, is pleasing because it, it gets us right back in the mix. It gets us right back in there. I mean, we're, we're now back to six in the table. And I know it's so tight. You know, we lose another game and you could go down as far as 13th looking at this. You know, goal difference aside, there's only, there's only three points separating us and Norwich in 13th place, which is how tight it is. And then just below them, you've got like Bristol City on 26. And so it's, I know it's tight, but we have to, that's another reason why we just, and it, sound, it sounds obvious and daft to say, but we just have to keep winning games because this league is very, very tight and... I think you know if if we if we had went on another little run where we maybe lose two or three, you're starting to look at the bottom end of the table and worrying a little bit. And I don't think I don't think we're as bad as the teams down the bottom end, but we've dropped points to teams down the bottom end. And if we get dragged into a dog fight, we might struggle. We are much more comfortable at this end of the table, uh, looking up because we've got the team capable of putting on performances like we did at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, talking about Dodds, I, you know, I don't. I completely agree with everything you said. You know, it was obvious during the game, the tweaks he put in and the, the little changes he asked people to make um, in terms of how they were playing and how we set up. And it was nothing major, but you could tell that he'd done something, that he'd had an impact. But, you know, the other place where you have to give credit, because again, going back to the character that Tony Mowbray is, I think, like I said, as a fan base, and it's a really strange thing because, you know, I've supported the lads for probably far too many years, that uh, when you talk about managerial changes, more often than not, you're absolutely over the moon that a manager's gone. And this wasn't the case when Mowbray went. I mean, I might not have been gutted, don't get us wrong, but at the same time, there was a bit of sadness about it because of the type of fellow Tony Mowbray was. And if we're feeling that, even knowing that we're known we're on a bad run and we might need a new voice, those players, knowing the type of character that Tony Mowbray is, as you said, those players, there's going to be a ton of those players who, you know, almost see Tony Mowbray as this common influence who came in after Alex Neil, who seemed to be the complete opposite in, in character, where he put his arm around their shoulder. A lot of these, you know, you're talking 18, 19, 20 year old lads who've had him, who've had Tony Mowbray as a manager for, what is it, 12, 18 months or whatever it's been. I can't even remember how long it's been now. For that period, growing up, you know, even if it's for a year in their development, he's a big influence. And if he's if if they like him, then it's going to have a massive effect. And for those lads to come out and listen to what they've been told at their at their point in their career, and make those changes, you know, and focus on the game, a tough game against a good West Brom side, you've got to give a lot of credit to those players because there was some. And we'll get when we get into the game, we'll talk about individual performances because you could name them all over the pitch. But again, I think your worries before the game were that the change was going to really impact some of those young lads where they might think, oh, you know, either that they feel bad because they were part of the cause why they thought a good man had lost his job or that it just it just affected them that they've lost this influence. So you've got to give that you've got to give all those players credit to not only focusing on, like I said, beating a good West Brom side but also taking on board the changes that they need to make because it would have been very easy for them to go back to just, you know, sticking with what they know and 
making the same mistakes as we've made in recent weeks. So yeah, look, Dodds gets a lot of credit. Fantastic, you know. He, he, you you can tell he, as you said, he put himself under pressure. He he didn't like what happened last time, and he he said as well. He said a few times that the situation back in League One, he he didn't know the players, and he didn't know the changes that need to be made. And this time, it seemed like he'd because he came in and made those decisions straight away. It seemed like he'd either been trying to make these changes behind the scenes without much luck, or he wasn't able to voice them because he clearly knew what needed to be, what changes needed to be made because he kind of made those little changes that we've been trying to, we've been talking about for weeks and weeks saying, why aren't we doing this little change and that little change? And instead of making, you know, like I said, even fullbacks overlap and getting the ball forward quicker, we've been changing the starting 11 and they've been doing the same thing. So yeah, I mean, look, Dodds along with the players, you know, they deserve a lot of credit. Um, and we'll get into the game first before we finish up as well. We'll talk about uh, Dodds' post-match uh, comments because I thought those were really interesting as well. They were. They were really interesting because um, he was at pains to point out <laughs> yeah. how great the recruitment's been, <laughs> yeah. um, which which was interesting because obviously that was a big reason why Tony Mowbray was clearly fired because he voiced his opinions on the, the kind of player we'd, we'd been signing. And he came out and... He made a point to say, I think the recruitment of these players has been fantastic. We brought yeah. in some brilliant players, brilliant people. He's also talked about how much he, you know, he's loved working for Tony Mowbray and how much he really respects him and all that. Now he's a great guy and everything. But you're allowed to disagree on things. And, you know, I've, I've said this, that when, when it comes to recruiting the next manager, they have to be totally on board with the way we work. And Tony Mowbray wasn't, which is why he wasn't the right man for the job, ultimately, you know. He would still have a job if he if he was on board with everything fully. But at the same time, your coaches need to be on board too. They've all got to believe, you know, think of it a bit like a religion or a cult. Like everybody in the club has to be 100% on board with with everything we're trying to do. Otherwise, those dissenting voices will cause issues. And, you know, Mike, Mike Dodds isn't going anywhere. He's, you know, the, the way we work now, we, we've brought in coaches based on the profile and the things that they stand for and they bring so that when we do fire a head coach, that part is interchangeable and the coaching team around them largely stays the same. So, you know, Mike Dodds is a big influence at the club at the minute. He's got, I think the players respect him clearly. And, you know, he's a big presence about the place. And he, this is even, even when I've seen these sort of the behind the scenes interactions he's had with the players and stuff at the training ground and videos and things, you know, he clearly gets along with the players um, but it's really important that somebody that influential, it, that that's in the building every day, it's important that they are reinforcing what we stand for. And also really basically saying to the players, like, ignore the noise because I think you're all great players and, and we all know why you're here. I, I think it's really, really important that he came out and said what, what he did. I, I don't think that's disrespectful to Tony Mowbray. I just think that <laughs> given the whole conversation about around sacking Mowbray this week has been around particularly the strikers that we've signed. I thought I just thought it was important that he came out and basically reminded everybody what we stand for, ultimately, because it is important. Yeah, well, well, look, I mean, while we're on the subject, look, you know, for me, Tony Mowbray talked himself out of the job, um, basically. He knew what he signed up for, and the frustration got the better of him. He thinks this team isn't too far away from challenging for the top two or whatever and winning games week in, week out. And he hinted that, basically, a change of direction of what the club's 
doing is required in January. And once you do that publicly, I mean, do, do it behind the scenes, you know, talk to them behind the scenes and say, do you fancy doing this? And if not, fair enough, you can decide if you don't want to carry on with doing that. But don't come out publicly and say, you know, this is wrong and the club aren't doing it in the right way and you you want us to change direction because that's that's not how it's going to work. And as soon as as soon as he even hinted that he wasn't up for that, I mean, that's it. That's the end, basically. And the club, you can't have someone at the top who disagrees with where the club are going or the direction they want to do and the strategy they want to take. Again, another plug for the editorial. <laughs> I've stuck that all in this week's editorial because you can't have it. You can't, you, you know, the club is, you know, you, you talked about there that the club's got to be going in one direction. Whoever comes in next is going to be clear that they are the next phase in that process. You know, and yeah. you know, we had Lee Johnson to start, get the ball rolling with the young lads, get a style of play. Then we needed a bit of discipline. So we got Alex Neil. Then we needed a steady pair of hands. That was Tony Mowbray. And now we need, well, I think that the direction seems to be that, that we're going to be looking for a technical coach who can take these young players to the next level. That's where I think the club want to go. But it, again, it's this process is going to be in stages and it's going to require different people for different stages. I mean, like I said, how far, you know, whatever technical coach we bring in can take these players, you know, whether we need a new one for the Premier League stage and all this sort of stuff. So the fact is that, you know, we had 10 years in the Premier League where we were chopping and changing managers who every manager changed the club's direction. And each time we were left with a load of players who were the last manager's strategy and way of playing. And we had to keep changing the whole squad every time. Now we're in a place where a coach can leave and it doesn't impact how the club are moving forward because the club have got a plan set in stone. It it makes no difference. It's just how the coach coaches those players and how he picks those players and how he puts them on the pitch. And that's it. Hmm. But the club doesn't change. And I mean, it's ideal because we now know we've just changed manager and as fans, we know that the club is still going to do the same thing because it's, and it's worked and it's working. We've moved forward in the last two years completely beyond where we probably imagined when we were sitting eighth or ninth in League One. They, they keep moving forward year on year and it, now a change of coach doesn't impact that. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes in next. But anyway, like I said, with, with Dodgers post-match comments, it was interesting that straight away he came out and he was like, yep, yeah, no, club's, club direction's brilliant. Recruitment's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, the last fella had been taught out of a job because he said it was crap. So straight away, I mean, but that wasn't even the question, but he managed to get me, that comment me, in. Give me the job. <laughs> yeah, it, it had, but the thing is, the way, when he said it, it had no, it had yeah. no relation to the, the comments. It was like, oh yeah, good result. Oh yeah, recruitment's brilliant, isn't it? it was like, well, He'd on. love that job, wouldn't he, Mike Dodds? <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. He'd yeah. absolutely love it. Well, yeah, yeah but hey, it's, hey, it's perfect Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. But the way we've set up, it's perfect for a coach rather yeah. than, you know, so, I mean, you know, well, we'll see. But uh, I, I think the, his background at the minute, I mean, I, I prefer him just to be a coach because I think he's a cracking coach. And again, it's another, the way the club works, that coaches can just stay on and it doesn't make that much of a difference. But um, hmm. so that that was interesting. I, I did have a chuckle when he when he came out with that. Yeah. Well, the the, the game, then that was through yes. it, however. Yes. Um, so... I'll be honest. Don't think he made any um, any massive changes with the team. Although going with with Job up front was interesting. 
mainly because I'd, I'd, I don't know, someone highlighted it, but I'd read, I think it was a quote from Jude Bellingham during the week where he'd said <laughs> his brother was a was a, a thoroughbred striker, like his dad. Uh, his dad obviously had a, a decent non-league career. And it was, I don't know, just it was interesting that I heard him, I, heard, I read that quote and then on the Saturdays playing up front. But Job played played very well up front for me. I think he he looks like a centre forward at times. I, I I quite like that he can he can sort of play virtually any role through the middle. You know, cent- he can play defensive midfield, central midfield, attack midfield as a striker, and he doesn't re- he doesn't look phased by it. Like you you don't look at him and think that's an eighteen year old kid playing like his third ever professional game as a striker or whatever. Um, I thought he did he did all the basics very well. He he, he pressed very well. He Got in between the defenders and won through balls and headers. He held it up. Um, he he scored a goal, which we'll get onto, which there was nothing wrong with. Um, but that was him anticipating and gambling like a striker should. I think we've said it a few times over the season actually that we think he's got a lot of, lot of the instincts that you expect from a centre forward in his game. Um, long term, I don't know if he's actually the, the perfect option up there. But it's just interesting that for this particular game. And for this game plan, that uh, Mike Dodds felt that he was the best option over all of the other strikers. I know Rusin's been touch and go for this game, and maybe he'll play on Tuesday. I don't know, but um, I think I think if Rusin had been fit in the last couple of weeks, he would have started the last handful of games. Maybe it was just one of those, like a stopgap type thing. But the rest of the team kind of picked itself. Really, you know, you had Human Huggins at fullback, which um the only thing there is which one plays left back and which one plays right back normally and they changed through the game as i mentioned before O nine 9 and ballard played at center half and i thought had a good game patson didn't have a great deal to do actually during the game so it was that was good for him pierre Ekwar was back in the midfield adilo she started as the number 10 we had obviously robertson clark out wide so it was a it was a pretty straightforward pick other than who played up front really wasn't it and i think um, there's going to be calls coming away from the game for Alex Pritchard to start, but I don't, I don't think anybody did, you know, themselves any disservice really in that attack. I think everybody played, played half decent at least. Um, but you know, Pritchard coming on and stealing the show a bit might mean that he he gets a start on Tuesday. I don't know, but in terms of the team selection, I think it was it was straightforward enough, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, and I thought what was interesting because I mean, again, people will have to. People have to believe me. Um, and you, again, I'll, I'll ask for your backup. But I, I did say that. <laughs> I did say that. I thought because a Dodd's relationship with uh, with Joe Bellingham, that I did think he'd start with Joe Bellingham up front. So I, I, I kind of had that feeling that 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 was we were going to set up like that. The interesting thing for me was if you if you watch the full match back again, especially in that first half with Oshish and Job, a lot of the time when you saw us line up. It almost looked like a four four two. Oshish and Job were kind of just almost like two front men. It wasn't one behind the other, where they weren't kind of sitting as a you know a number ten and a, and a number nine up front. They were both almost playing just as two strikers to to split their their defenders when they were in possession, um, almost yeah. as a ploy to, for our press as much as anything else. But yeah, so it was interesting how far Oshish played up up the pitch. It was interesting as well. I mean, the fact that whether it's the Dodds effect as well, but Job played a full ninety minutes, which actually I don't think ah, off the top of my head yeah. he, he's done he's done that much. And to be fair, I was actually calling for him to come off for um twenty minutes to go because I thought he looked absolutely knackered. And O'Shea's got very quiet as well before he came off, kind of around the hour mark. But they they did have good games and they were 
they, they did have some nice touches. But uh, but yeah, I mean that that was that was the only real tweak in terms of how we set up, uh, like formation wise. That I that I kind of noticed that it seemed at times we were almost playing with, with two up front. And yeah, it was. And the other thing as well, in case I don't mention it, it was good to see a, a solid performance by Equa because he needed that. Yeah, I saw a few people have mentioned they didn't think he played well, but I thought he had a canny game. I thought first half, he wasn't as great. He, he was sort of a bit wishy-washy, but second half, I thought he was excellent. And there was a moment in the game where he actually, he saved us, really, because yeah. Huggins had been done over the top. And if yeah. he hadn't have been there and come across to win the ball, they would have definitely prob- definitely scored, I think. so. Yeah, it, it wasn't it, wa- it wasn't up there with kind of the, the performance he was putting in earlier this season, but it was much better yeah. than it has been in recent weeks. Yeah. So it was just good to see. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first half, I thought, I thought it was better than Mike Dodd said it was. He wasn't impressed at all. I thought, you know, mm. he, he 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 sort of said after the game he felt like we didn't play particularly well first half. I noticed their manager had said that he felt they had a good first half too. But I thought we did okay first half. I wasn't I wasn't offended by the performance whatsoever. I thought we did okay. I, you know that I've got to come to it because it's the big talking point. But we we had a decent spell of pressure and then score a perfectly fine goal, and it's chalked off for offside. Everybody in the ground could tell that 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 was not offside. Nobody around me stood and went, "Oh shit, he's offside" or whatever. You know what I mean? It, it was clearly onside. Their none of their players appeal for an offside. If you watch the replay back on Sky, their reaction tells tells the own story because it's you watch the reaction to defenders when whenever a team concedes a goal, and they sort of like throw their arms up in the air, they look to the ground, and they sort of trudge back to the halfway line, <laughs> and that's exactly what West Brom did. It wasn't like it felt like the the, the linesman needed to put his flag up. Everybody could see that he's onside, apart from the linesman apparently. I mean, we don't want to sit and do another 20 minutes on how shit all the officials are. We we know they are. But that's so blatant. That is so blatant. I, I, just, I couldn't get my head around at the time. I still can't. I'm looking at it again. I'm like, has someone maybe got on his line of sight? Is, he's looking right at it. I think there's... Only thing I can think is he's getting... He's basically, his concentration wasn't there. Mm. And he was totally distracted by maybe Patrick Roberts, who was in an off, offside position, but wasn't involved in any way in the goal. That's the only thing I can think. I mean, obviously, it's a it's an error from the goalkeeper too. So maybe watching it, he's looked at it and it's, you know he's maybe concentrating on the wrong thing. But effectively, what I'm saying here is that the linesman's done a really poor job. So you know, I'm not making excuses for the guy. It was shit, wasn't it? Let's be honest. For a decision like that in the second tier of English football, because the champion, how big the championship is, and if you think what it's worth, you know, if if you think at the end of the season what the prize is actually worth, you're talking hundreds of millions of pounds, and if if it's based on missing out on you know by two points or a point and you get decisions like that i mean completely amateur decisions like that and i mean like i said it, it wasn't even close i mean it was talking two or three yards which in the grand scheme of things for linesmen at that level two or three yards is not close it's not you know like linesmen you see some fantastic decisions by linesmen at the top level as much as we slate them that sometimes they get ones that are marginal and you go, God, that was a good decision. I would have never have spotted that. But I mean, this was just kind of just completely amateur. I mean, that the, I mean, Andy Hinchcliffe said at one point, he was like, he said his view might have been blocked by the West Brom defender. I was like, well, hang on. If it's blocked and he can't see a Sunderland player, then he's onside. <laughs> it's like just a ridiculous comment. 
you're kind of giving him excuses saying he might have been distracted by Patrick Roberts, but that's his job to see Patrick Roberts there, know that he's not interfering with play. And then on Roy Keane, that's his job, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you're you're giving him an excuse saying he was, I mean, you can't be distracted by players who aren't, you know, that that's that's what you've got to do. You look along the line and you you know he's got nothing to do with it. Joe, Joe Bellingham was behind two big defenders. So he couldn't even see if Joe Bellingham was offside. And and what I think is, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, that he's just guessed. He's just guessed that Joe Bellingham was so quick to the ball after the goalkeeper spilled it that he has to be offside. But he didn't see him offside. He's just went, oh, he has to be offside because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to get it to get to the ball so quick. So he's just completely guessed at it, threw up his flag. And the, what annoys me is when the camera goes on him and he's got this smug look on his face as if, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm spot on. And, you know, I'd love it if at half time or something like that, someone just kind of points out, do you know how wrong you got that decision? <laughs> you know you know, how, <laughs> you know how crap your performance was in that first half. Like one of his assessors go, oh, come on, pick it up. Because it annoys me that you know these decisions are just going to go by the wayside. Nothing's going to happen, and it's it's just it's just annoying that these people get away with we're making decisions like that. And you know, if we'd not gone on to lose that game, just I mean, what thirteen minutes in, and you know how early goals are for us. Like it, mm. it gets our tails up, and we run away with it. And it's just annoying that people like that just you know can't do their jobs properly. Basically, well, there were a bunch of decisions throughout the game. That were horrendously wrong. I mean, I think Dan Ballard was lucky to be on the pitch Oof, because yeah. I've seen. I see at the time I didn't actually think anything of it at the time. Um, I mean, I don't oh, think many on, people. In the, I don't think. I don't think many you, people in the ground did. To be honest, you put in the you put in the chat right at the time. You said, "I can't believe he's been booked for that." <laughs> I yeah yeah well uh, in in the ground. I mean, to be fair, I was away away from it, but in the ground, like I don't think. I don't know whether it just didn't look as bad in real time in the ground because even when um, when Madja was getting carried off, people were booing him as if he dived or maybe went down a bit soft. Honest, they did. I I, I don't know whether just in real time watching it in the ground, maybe it looked like a like because it it's a bad tackle. Like I don't know how he's getting away with it. I, actually, I do know how he's getting away it's with horrific. it because the the ref was shite. It was that hairband yeah. nonce that we've had a few times in the past. I forget his name. <laughs> you know, man in his forties with grey hair and an Alice band. He just, yeah, I knew he was a prick from the minute I seen him, and he was awful again. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. So Dan Ballard, very very lucky to be on the pitch by the end of the game. As was, I don't know who it was who elbowed Pritchard, but he's like five yards from the fourth official, and the linesman's not too far away either. That's yeah. a bad. One. It's a proper on the. Apparently, someone had said after the game, uh, Pritch looked a bit swollen as well from that. It's a it's a proper elbow, Chris. It's a pointed arm in it, his face. It it can yeah. Look, I'm not I'm not completely I'm not completely disagreeing with you. I just think that the one thing to take into account when I when I kept watching it back is Pritchard's size. That if you look at the way he kind of puts his arm out, that I think for a player who's not as small as Pritchard, that <laughs> that that is a, that is kind of an arm in someone's chest. Well, Pritch- it is Pritchard. It is. I mean, he's, he's still he's still caught him flush on the chin. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was kind of. Yeah, and look, he could have easily been sent off, but I just think I keep thinking about that, thinking hmm, maybe if it was another player, it wouldn't have been so bad. Possibly, possibly. But there we go. It was just one of many decisions. Um, 
but I, you know, and and I, I would, I totally get why West Brom might feel like you know they, they were maybe hard done to because of Ballard not getting sent off, but you know, their manager coming out after the game and basically like going in on the decisions from the referee. I'm thinking, come on, they gave you a they gave you a, a leg up by not not allowing that perfectly fine goal. Like it's probably easier to just come out and say like nothing really because. We we both had decisions go against us, really. So, um, you know, but it it wasn't a great performance from the officials. You know, let's be honest. Well, that's it. It was about five minutes after the disallowed goal where we had the Roberts penalty shout. Yeah. Do you think it was a penalty? I haven't seen the replay, by the way. About the time it, it looked like a. To me, we were seeing this at the ground. You know, he's already skipped past everybody and got into a decent position. So why would he? Yeah. Why would he go down soft? I don't get why he would. <laughs> No, well, he's, and I've seen these given. I mean, look, maybe kind of three out of 10 referees might have given the penalty because there is contact. But the problem is his last touch of the ball goes too far. It's a bad touch, his last touch. And he's already, he's already going down before the contact. Now, if he'd waited a second later and waited for the contact and then went down, I think the referee gives a penalty. But Roberts is waiting for the contact and he he can't wait long enough. So he goes down, he starts going down. And the, I think the referee just thinks, ah, he's gone too early and the contact hasn't made much difference. So mm. it could have easily been a penalty. But for it, I kind of understand why the referee hasn't given it. Yeah. The only other moment I can really think off the top of my head from the first half was the when, when Oshish hit the post and then... It was, I didn't realise because we didn't get a corner for it, but the keeper made a brilliant save from yeah, Jack Clark yeah, in the following. To it. We yeah. just we just thought bloody hell Clark's fluff that. Yeah. But yeah, um, but Clark still should have buried that. He shouldn't have given the keeper yeah. a chance. I mean, it's a great save though. because yeah. the, the keeper's in an awkward position to save it and he does. But yeah, like I say, I, I I don't think we played too badly first half. I know like I say Mike Dodds maybe wasn't too impressed, but I thought we did okay. Well, if you look at what we created in the first half, I I, I agree. It was a solid performance, and you've got to remember West Brom are a good side. But Yes, okay, we had the disallowed goal. We had Roberts getting into the box and the penalty shout. But apart from that, in that first half, it was solid, but we didn't create enough. No, no. But then second half, we were, yeah, we were the better team second Definitely. half by, by a mile, I thought. And it would have been unfair if we hadn't won the game. Yeah, But it was, you know, like I said before, I actually thought individually quite a lot of the attackers played well, but it was the introduction of Pritchard which really changed things. And, you know, it's it's funny when you think about it, because this week there's been quite a lot of talk about um, not not just the striker thing that Mowbray mentioned, but the fact that uh, the expectation at the club is that we give those starts to young players who we need to develop, not the likes of Alex Pritchard. I think everyone was like expecting him to leave in the summer. There's probably a high chance he leaves in, in January, but, you know, he certainly did himself a favour playing like he did, because he came on and he changed the game. He got two assists. Maybe trying to prove why, why they should keep him and give him a, maybe another deal. Because look, I, I I like Alex Pritchard. I think last season in the championship, I thought he was poor. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, I think he really missed that natural link up he had with Ross Stewart in the in League One, which which I thought they they really benefited from each other's presence on the pitch. Last season, not having him on the pitch very often meant that Pritchard just wasn't as good. But like you know, that's all in the past, I guess. You know, you look you're looking to now, and that ball for the second goal in particular was just that. That's like that's Premier League quality play, and if he could do that more often, then 
you know, he would be starting every week for us. But uh, certainly did himself plenty of favours in coming on and doing what he did. But the first goal was a great ball in too. I mean, Ballard, it's another, it's a fantastic header though. To get the ball on target from that position is 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 fantastic. And the goalkeeper, you know, he, he's stretching for it, but he gets nowhere near it. It's a great header. I, I, I like we don't score many of them kind of goals, so it's nice when we do. It's an absolutely fantastic header, and I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you slightly on the on the actual free kick itself because I I don't think the ball in was that great. We it was, we had the same disagreement on the uh, whose goal was it the other week when Rusin flicked it on, and I was like, oh, I thought it was a great move. Yeah, and you were yeah. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think I think actually he gave Ballard too much to do on this. I think it was. A little bit low to the front post. It was, if you look at where Ballard had actually run to to make contact with the ball. If you look at how how Ballard got to it as well, he had to kind of duck almost. He he jumped, but it was so low he had to get his head down. And then how he managed to get it in from because if you look if you look at where he made contact from the ball, it's almost on the edge of the six yard box, like the the corner of the six yard box. It's way out. And I don't know how he got it on target. I mean, it's an unbelievable header, how he managed to get that on target. Because, like I said, I don't think it was the best free kick in the world. I, I, I honestly don't. I don't think it was kind of... It wasn't put on a plate or a mat, really, at all. Again, I think I don't think there was a huge amount of pace on it as well. But I, I just think Ballard had everything to do. And, I mean, it is, like I said... It, is the way he got it on target from where he made contact with it. I, I still don't know how he managed it, that he did it in a way where it almost shocked the keeper because I think the keeper was crap at that near post. Um, but the header was so good and it was in such, he put it in such a position, <laughs> the keeper, when he realised Ballard had done what he did, just couldn't get to it. But yeah, mm. I, I mean, what a header. I mean, the ball was dipping a bit too much and Ballard had to, it's weird because obviously he jumped at first expecting a high ball in, but then he realised he had to get underneath it and direct it backwards and kind of to the side and yeah, just, just a fantastic goal, and it's yeah. it's funny as well because it was <laughs> it was probably one of the more difficult chances that we'd had in the game, and we yeah. managed to score from yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, and then the second goal was you know you, you kind of forget it was a gift in many ways because their player slips on his ass, and that it, it's winning the ball back from that situation which we score from, but it wasn't an easy chance to create because Pritchard was surrounded. He had like he had like four people around him, and he was facing the wrong way, and he managed to I don't know how he played that pass, but he managed. Despite being surrounded with the outside of his right boot, he manages to put it right into the path of Daniel as he's advancing. It's a possibly the best pass I've seen all season from any player in the championship. I thought it was just lush. Like to be able to do that with that sort of situation with his body facing the wrong way. Oh, what a what a ball that was. I don't think it's been talked about enough, maybe outside outside of Sunderland fans about how great that pass was. Because I don't think we've got another player in the team who can do that. That kind of pass. We've got some fantastic technical players, but that was just, it was awesome. Like, and and again, something which I've said a fair bit, and so have you on, on these podcasts. When we play, I know, I know it was from their corner, so naturally we, we had the ability to break against them. But when we play against teams who actually come at you a bit more, and, you know, even on set pieces, commit people forward and get people in the box because they think they can score from those situations. When we play teams who do that, We've got the players to break and counterattack and score goals. It's just a shame we don't get to do it enough. There was a couple of things. There was a couple of things about this goal I just, I just absolutely loved. I mean, for for a start, I mean, how many times have we talked about us defending corners and that 
in the past, it's been our weakness. And we'll look back at the end of last season and kind of it was, we were undone by it, defending corners. But, you know, time and time again, we've we've conceded from it. And, I mean, if you look at Ballard and Hume off this corner and how they defended it, they almost, they just charged at the ball when the ball was played in. And they, they both just, just threw themselves at it. And then the ball fell to Equa. And again, something that we don't do that, often it was just a bit of no nonsense from Equa and he just he just got a clear he just booted the ball clear high up into the air and then after that the brilliant thing again is that the ball goes up in the air and they've only got two players back but all all the players who charge forward at that point you, you likes a Pritchard Dan Neal as well they know there's half a chance because if that player takes one touch that's a yard too far or whatever then we're on it and we're away. And the, the players have got the intelligence to know that. And again, he slipped. And then after that, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that thought when Pritchard got the ball, ah, oh, he screwed this up. What's he doing? <laughs> he's, go, he's going in completely the wrong direction. And that's me being a complete idiot because he knew exactly what he was doing, dragging the players over even two or three yards to his to the side Pritchard was running down. And then he just reversed it to give Dan Neal all that, all the room in the world. And by the way, and it was good to see Dan Neal talk about this after. I mean, what a finish. I mean, oh, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, what an, like, to, to do that, what, seven minutes from time, you're 1 0 up. Basically, the game is almost riding on this because, you know, then you put yourself, you get that breathing space with, you know, 10 minutes to go. What a finish. And it's good to see Dan Neal doing that because. That that's kind of the final piece in the in his game that he can add to. Well, he'll end up being a Premier League player. I just hope it's with us. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was just a great goal. But it was it was great to see us defend a corner and then charge out and make something of it. And it was just a brilliant goal. Yeah, I I love that goal so much. Yeah. Like, I think I put on Twitter on on the on the Rote Report Twitter. It's the horniest goal we've scored in a while. <laughs> That's, it's, it is, isn't it? It was a sexy goal. It was just a sexy pass. And then a lifted over the keeper like that. Just, yeah, yeah. fantastic goal. Dan Neal scored a, a, a few nice goals this season now, hasn't he, when you think about it? You yeah. know, so he, he, he is adding that to his game. And that natural progression from more defensive midfield player to to one who gets forward and, and gets involved. And, you know, that that's what's going to make him attractive to, yeah. to bigger clubs. Is the the look at him? They go right. Okay. Well, is he is he just a technician? Is he just a passer? Nah, he's got goals to his game, yeah. and he can and he can score, and, and not just tap ins. You know, flicking it over the goalkeeper. I think that's his, yeah. again. He's, he's he's chipped the keeper, and and then sort of. Well, that that was the first one I'm thinking of the the, the goal he scored a couple of months ago, and then this one where he's lifted from a bit further out. Yeah. Um, it does make him look a more complete player when he scores them kind of goals. The only other thing I really want to talk about from the from the game is their goal. And it's the only real black mark on the performance for me because I thought we played so well and we defended so well. I, I actually think, I mentioned about going back to basics. We defended more basically and I thought it benefited 0-9 and Ballard because we weren't asking them to join the midfield and sort of charge out as much. They were just concentrating on defending. Um, but the goal is really disappointing. I know I know. Uh, Thomas Asante, who the goal scorer, he gets between the the mm. two centre halves. But Ballard's fully aware of where he is. I've, I've watched it back a few times, and he he checks his he checks his man several times, like at least three or four times while the ball's on the wing. But he's still nowhere near him for the goal. And it's not like it's not like the guys like 
totally bamboozled them with a mad run or, or turned and just found a bit of space that didn't exist. He's there. He's with them. Mm. I think, you know, if this had been the other way around and it had been Luke O'Nine's man, I think it would be getting highlighted a lot more about that. And, you know, it's not often that we have to highlight who are defending from Dan Ballard because actually his performance overall was brilliant. You know, the the... The, the the dodgy tackle on Josh Madger aside and, and this, I thought he actually played really well. But, you know, you do have to mention it because it was it was slack. And really, you know, Patterson's going to be pissed off that he didn't finish with a with a clean sheet. Because I just think if, if Ballard checks his man and he stays tight to him, he doesn't get that leap. He doesn't win the header and the ball just goes straight into Patterson's hands and we finish 2-0. It was just, again, like we we keep saying, it, it's just a stupid goal to concede because... Mm. I know they just conceded the second not long before it, but it wasn't like they were piling forward and, and sort of bomb, bombarding the box or anything. It was just a, I thought it was a really poor goal to concede. So, yeah. you know, if I'm coming coming away with this with, from this with any gripes about the performance, it was just, again, the defending when we conceded the goal wasn't good enough. Yeah, it was, it was annoying. I mean, for a start, it was two minutes after we scored the second, which was just annoying. And it came, mm. it, it seemed to come out of nothing as well. It wasn't like you said, it wasn't like there were kind of piling everyone forward and desperate to get back into the game. It just kind of came out of nothing. I mean, the the first the first thing I want to mention is a pet hair of ours that we've talked about for, you know, well, we've talked about it less now than we used to, to be fair. But I just thought the effort and and look, Nal Huggins had a good game. I think he had a really good game and he was he was pretty solid. But he just it was a half hearted effort to stop that ball coming into the box. Mm. And that if as fullbacks you you chuck yourself at that ball, you stop that. Your job is to stop that ball coming anywhere near the box. And if you just hang a leg out as a fullback and just allow that ball to come in because you rely on other people to get it clear, then you haven't done your job properly. And if you look mm. the, the effort, that he wasn't he wasn't tight. He wasn't kind of close enough. He allowed he basically allowed that ball to come in the box. And and like I said, I'm going to caveat that with I, I like Nile Huggins and I think he had a really good game. But just in that moment, he he just wasn't good enough. Um, and then when the ball came in, yes, you're absolutely right about Ballard and and the fact that he ends up between the two defenders. Just like your communication isn't good enough if he ends up between uh, two defenders. And if you know one thinks the other's got him, and then he loses him or or whatever happens. But he just should not win a header between two centre halves like that. Um, and the other thing, and it's it's probably a gripe of mine about goalkeepers generally. But if you look where Patterson is when the the fellow makes contact with the ball, he's behind him. Like he's he's almost behind him kind of waiting for the ball. And for me, you you kind of you're not anticipating the ball coming over everyone. You you're waiting there for the contact. You're in goal waiting for the contact and to, to be able to save it. And I just and again, you know, I, I like Patterson. He's been been good this season, but again just I just, well, when I looked at where he was, I just thought his positioning was a was a bit crap. But who am I to say I'm not? I'm not a keeper or anything like that. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought just annoying um, that it, it. You know, after we scored the second, you thought game over. Two minutes later, they're back into it. But then after that, I thought we managed them really well. I thought we did really well to like talking about game management and all that sort of stuff. I thought we did really well after that, after we conceded the goal. West Brom didn't look like they were going to equalise um, other than that little scare with uh, with Luke O'Neill. You have to remind us. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, the 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 penalty decision. Well, it, he, didn't, it didn't get given. What do you no. think? I'd, 
I don't think it was a penalty, but only just, I think he put himself in a really awkward position where actually a few referees would have given that. And it would have been soft, mm. but I think Luke Onan put himself in a in a position where he could have given that away. He, he just he got on Trey the Hume wasn't happy, mind. He, he was st- standing over the lad shouting at him to get up. Well, Luke Onan um, was. Yeah, yeah, they both were. So I don't know whether they felt he just went down soft trying to get a penalty. He did. No, he did. He right, did. Right but the, the, death, the, yeah. He did. But the point is, Luke Onan put himself in that position because he got on the wrong side. Yeah. He, he allowed yeah, him to yeah. get on the. He allowed him to come on the outside. Um. So yeah, look, the the player. The the West Brom player last minute he has a sniff of a penalty he's going to go down like that but um mm-hmm. what you, what you do is you you just don't put yourself in that position no no well that was the game then it was a yeah good let's win. say a good performance and a good win um very quickly before we go we'll we'll mention Leeds because that's going to be tough isn't it we we've, we've been we've talked about it a little bit in the last few weeks about how how sort of difficult the run we've got in December is and I think this is the hardest test of them all. But what gives us a little bit of um, a little bit of hope is the way we played against West Brom and the fact it's at home. And actually, our home form has turned round this season. We're, we're quite good at home now, um, and against a team who are going to come at us, I think it might suit us to play. We always look better against teams who play football against us. We might not always win, like we didn't. We didn't win against Leicester, but we we played very well against Leicester because they've that they, naturally they're going to try and play football against you. And I think they'll be the same with Leeds. What worries me about Leeds is just how tricky that front line is. And I'm really interested. I mean, I'm not saying it's in any way as good, and I'm looking way ahead here, but I'm not saying it's anywhere near as good as Newcastle's forward line. But I would say this is the best front four in the league and probably better than the one that they had in the Premier League last year because they've made a couple of tweaks here and there. You know, so I'm re- I, I like to think this is basically a test for us, like a Premier League standard attack against this defence and seeing how, how they maybe get on because I just you know Perot's a great striker he's a he's a proper goal scorer I think he got a couple against us last year for Swansea um, Dan James is a pace merchant he's not a technically great footballer but he's a pace merchant and you know if we leave gaps he will exploit it um, I think they've got is it, is it um, Somerville the other the other the other winger so you know they, they, they've got a fantastic team and you look at their bench, they've got Patrick Bamford, they've got Ruta, who I think they brought the transfer record to sign last year, <laughs> sitting on the bench. Do you know what I mean? So, the, the, yeah. like, I'm I'm going into it with very low expectations, but I actually think as a team performance, I think we'll play we'll play well, and we've got the ability to, when we play well, to beat anyone. I just do worry about that attack. So it's a good test for us. It'll, it'll show us exactly where we're at, because, you know, Ipswich and Leicester are right up there at the top, but then I think it's Leeds. Leeds are probably the next one down from that. Um, in terms of where, where things are going to end up. And if they go on a, a run where they just keep winning and winning and winning, they might even edge into them top two places come the end of the season. So for me, it's like it's like playing a Premier League team, even though it's not. I think it's a good test for us. Yeah, you're right. I think I think that top four is done. I think that the top four is going to be the top four, whether, it, you know, and it just depends on what order that top four are going to finish in. I think they're going to kind of split from the rest of the pack. And I think there's going to be two playoff places to... To play for, the they already the have really, haven't they? When you look yeah. at it, you sort of yeah. there's a six point gap between Southampton and West Brom, uh, so it is basically. Well, I mean, just as an aside as well, I, I find it crazy. Just Ipswich lost twice all season. Yeah, I, I didn't see that Brilliant. coming. A lot of people did, by the way, and and I laughed at it. I was like, nah, I can't see that happening. You know, a lot of the EFL pundits and podcasts thought this would happen, and I looked at it and went, I just don't get it. But fair play to Ipswich, like they've they've been brilliant to even they're seven points ahead of Leeds who I've just said are brilliant and are probably 
you know, got Premier League standard players, and Ipswich are, are way ahead of them again. So it shows, it just shows how well they've done. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think the top four is probably what's going to be in the end of the season. Yeah. Well, if you, if you go back to our um, season preview pod with not the top twenty podcast, did we do it with them? Anyway, we did a season preview with somebody. <laughs> can't remember who it yeah, was. You now. did. You done it with George Alec. That, that was it. That yeah, <laughs> I can't remember yesterday. But uh, but yeah, we, we were talking about Ipswich, so people can go back and listen to to how messed up um, I was then when I said it was never happened. But uh, but yeah, that, like I said, I think that top four will be the top four. Looking at Leeds playing away from home, they've, they've won they've won five out of their ten. And they've only lost three out of ten away from home so far this season. Um, but I was looking at their last three um, games away from home, and they looked impressive against Blackburn. And then, but the before the game before that, they drew at Rotherham, um, which I think they ex- obviously expected to go to Rotherham and win because the game before that, they went to Leicester and beat Leicester away from home one nil. So. Yes, look, they looked impressive at Blackburn. They obviously beat Leicester. But that Rotherham result hints at the fact that, you know, that whether it was the way Rotherham just sat on the edge of their box or whatever it is, that, you know, that teams can teams can kind of get at them and, and kind of stop They've them. They've also from... lost to Stoke, by the way, oh, end well, of October. That, that tells you a lot. I, I, but... I, yeah, as, as you're saying that, I'm just looking through and, you know, the, they've lost a few away games this season, actually. Well, they've, yeah. they've lost three out of ten, but... It, it yeah. just shows that they're capable every so often of, you know, slipping up away yeah. from home yeah, yeah. and not not against sides at the top either. You know, they look like they play better against the sides at the top, of, if if anything, away from home. And we and we can sympathise with that. You know, teams, yeah, yeah, teams exactly. do set up, but we know, don't we? Teams set up differently against you when you're a good team. They yeah. just camp and, and, and it doesn't matter how good your players are. Sometimes you just can't break them down. So yeah. it, it's fair enough. I can, under, I can, I can totally sympathise and understand why they went to Rotherham and struggled. It'll not be the same kind of game here. You know, we're a very different team to them. Yeah. But I mean, you, you talked, you talked about their, their front line. Um, and yes, you know, that their front line is impressive and they've got some good players, but you know, looking at, looking at their goal scored uh, again, away from home, there's, there's plenty of teams who've scored more considering where they are on the table, but actually their, their defensive record. I think there's only three sides who've conceded um, fewer goals away from mm. home. So they don't concede many goals. Uh, they've only conceded eleven in in ten games away from home, which which actually is is good um, when when you look at yeah. the the rest of the division. So so yeah, I think uh, again, but again, look, I think it doesn't matter who it is, whether you know Leicester, Ipswich, any of that top four. If they come to the stadium, I like if we turn it on, if we get a goal, if we get ahead, you know, we're more than capable of beating anyone in this division if if we do what we do. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going into it with pretty low expectations, but I feel a lot more relaxed about it, anyways, just because we won the West Brom game. I wasn't expecting us to win, and yeah. we did. So it takes, it does take a little bit of pressure off, and I'm sure the players will play, um, with with more freedom. And the, and you know, when when they win games, it reminds them, it reminds them of what they're good at. And like I, I, I always take notice of what other teams say about us. And even the West Brom manager came out and said, um, that you know. He struggled with they struggled with the way we played in that second half. I think all teams in this league are very much aware of how good we are, and uh, Leeds won't take us lightly. You know, I, I expect them to come and, and and certainly be you know well prepared on what we're like. Um, I just look at their team and think it's a good team. So you know, if we get something in happy days, I would take a point now. Would you be happy with a point or not? Because I would be. I'd be over the moon. I think if you can say we got four points from these two games, that's that that's good considering who we've played. 
Yeah, I mean, on paper I would, but it's it's one of them at home where it just depends how the game goes. You know, if, if, yeah, if, yeah. if we're on if we're on top and get a point, I'll be gutted. But if Leeds turn it on and we have an off day, I'll I'll be over the moon with a point. I just look. At, I'm just looking at the bench from the weekend, right? So, <laughs> so they went they went away at the Blackburn, right? And the front line was Ruta, Somerville, Perot, Dan James. They had Glenn Kamara, who was a successful player with Rangers. Ethan Ampadu, who's a Premier League midfield player. I mean, Joe Roden, who's on loan from Tottenham, good player. They've got um, Sam Byron back, who's having a canny season, I think. But then I look at the bench. Jaden Anthony, who's a good player. Wilfred Nonto, who's a good player. Jed Spence, who's a good player. They had, they had Joe Gellart, who never come on like, but he's, no, I don't rate him particularly. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that the players they brought on, you're looking at them, you're going, bloody hell, I wouldn't mind him in my team. You know, they've got good players on the bench even, so they've got the ability to mix it up and change things if things aren't working. So, yeah, I, I just think I just think they're a very good team. And it's a perfect example. We talk about, you know, us finishing the playoffs last season. Look, we're sixth this season, you know, coming up to the halfway mark. And this season, you've basically got, well, you've definitely got three teams in Leicester, Leeds and Southampton on paper with their players that they've got who were better than a lot of sides in the Premier League. If you look at the bottom of the Premier League, yeah, those yeah. three sides, mm-hmm. those three sides have got much better players than a lot of teams in the in the bottom five or six in the Premier League. And Ipswich Town, with the way they're playing, I you know they would they wouldn't struggle as bad as the, your Lutons and your Burnleys and all this sort of stuff in the Premier League. So this season, you've got those four at the top, um, who were streets ahead of any, who anybody who were in the Championship last season. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a harder league, so yeah. you know. I I just look at their team on paper. I think it's very good. So if we can get anything from the game, I'd I'd be over the moon. I'll take a point right now. Absolutely take a point. Anyways, we'll be back after the Leeds game to to reconvene and chat and hopefully talk about another win. Um, maybe Mike Dodds is gonna actually get the job if we keep winning games. Um, I said it before. Stranger things have happened, of course. But uh, yeah, let's let's just hope for another good performance and see what happens there against Leeds. Uh, cheers, mate. Thanks for joining us. No worries. It's been, a, it's been a hefty one this one, but we've had lots to talk about. It always is. And uh, just just to let the uh, the listeners peer beneath behind the curtain, even uh, I, I told Chris we should probably aim for half an hour tonight, and uh, we're we're way over target. So if you're this yeah. far in and you're still listening, well done. <laughs> and uh, even we're surprised that we're going on this long, but we, we're yeah. a pair of gobshites, aren't we? We can't shut up. Uh, yeah. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. No, no worries. Cheers to the listeners. Make sure you donate to our fundraiser for the soup kitchen. The books have gone back on sale. We did periodically sell out, but we've got a reprint. So if you haven't got the book yet, make sure you buy that. All the profits go to the community soup kitchen. Thanks everyone who's already picked up a copy. Thanks everyone who bought a pair of the bespoke Luco 9 socks, which sold out. Also, all profits from those going to the soup kitchen. Yeah, let's just make this the best year ever for the fundraiser because we need to help as many people as possible. And uh, yeah, we'll be back after Leeds and we'll catch you then. 